In this episode, we focus on Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 9 through 20. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this season, Tim Dunn and Joey Willis walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, verse by verse, discussing what is being revealed about the nature of God, our world, and our most adequate response to it. Grab your Bible, some note-taking supplies, and pull up the BibleSays.com commentary on Ecclesiastes as we take a deep dive into the deep truths of Ecclesiastes. Rich with humility and hope, uncertainty and purpose, mystery and faith, this book is sure to challenge your perspective on what it means to live life well. 9 through 12. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. We, we talked earlier about if you want to dream about stuff or just ask God to you know, bring things to you, it's a foolish way to work. And, and now we're into the realities of work. If you, if, you want, if you want to accomplish anything, it takes investment. And the example here is the king that cultivates the field. It helps the king and it helps the land. But the flip side to that is if your goal is money, you'll always want more and you'll never be satisfied. If your goal is accumulation of riches, it'll never be big enough. So the 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 reality here is that if we're going to pursue the me orientation and accomplish it's ultimately going to be hebel it's going to be a vapor but if we just want to do nothing and say well this isn't going to get me anywhere i'll just sit back and do nothing you're going to have an unpleasant life because you're not working <laughs> so here we have this big dichotomy again yeah and i we talked before about the different visions and how that different me focuses drift organizations apart. And that happens even with us internally. I might get into a company because I believe in what they're doing. But because of our that me orientation and because of a lot of bureaucracy, potential bureaucracy hangups, organizations do things like we try to incentivize people mm -hmm. to try to get them another transaction sure. to get them yeah. to do the mission. But what we can do is make those incentives the vision themselves. Yeah. And that's what happens a lot with wealth. You, if I have a, if I start a company and I'm excited about the idea, I'm, I have a vision I want to achieve and I start making a little bit of money and start thinking about the other money I can make, it, it can be easy for my head to start to drift my focus, my vision, literally mm -hmm. what I'm looking at to drift away from the purpose of the organization for, that used to inspire me to, you know, how many cars I, I might be able to purchase and, or, or what the money uh, might bring me in terms of status or recognition. 
and so the it's it's easy for these for this to 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 drift you apart and uh, to drift yourself apart, kind of tear you in, in two, make you this kind of a dis, dysfunctional within your own self. Well, Jim Collins is a pretty well known business author, and he has written some well known books <clears throat> that talk about companies that are are successful at a much higher level than other companies. One of them was Johnson and Johnson. They had a um, a situation where they had a Tylenol get uh, poisoned, and uh, they just immediately pulled everything off the shelf, told everybody about it, invented the tamper-proof uh, lid, and then went back in and won tremendous credibility. Mm. Now, uh, what Collins says is um, that profit was a byproduct for them, that their focus was on customer service, and they didn't even think twice about it. we we got to take care of our customers here. So it cost them a lot of money, but in the long run, it made them a lot of money. And this the, the key here is not he, or he who pursues money or, or profit. It's who loves money. Mm-hmm. And so if your focus is on the profit instead of the product or instead of the service, it's all, you're, you're always going to end up cutting corners or uh, soiling the whole purpose for which the business stands because you're now exploiting. You're mm-hmm. trying to exploit. You're not trying to serve. And um, I think that's the key, the love of money. It's not money that's the problem. It's the love of money that's mm-hmm. the problem. And, you know, some, some, um, there, there's some confusion about this in the New Testament because Jesus told the rich young ruler, give everything away. If you want, if you want the fullest expression of eternal life, uh, eternal life is a quality of life, <clears throat> and it's a gift when you believe on Christ. But it's also an experience if you make good choices. So it depends on the context how it's used. And this rich young ruler, the Gospel of Mark tells us, Jesus looked at him and loved him, because the rich young ruler said, "I've obeyed the commandments," and Jesus didn't say, "No, you hadn't." He loved him. So this guy's almost great. If you want to be great, sell everything and follow me. And he's like, eh, you know, that's just too much. And the disciple, and he said, you know, rich people, it's harder for a rich people to, a man to enter the kingdom, which is a reward uh, phrase. Uh, Paul says, through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom. So that's not a be born phrase. That's a reward phrase. Uh, then a, it, and, and the disciple said, well, then who can get in? He said, well, it's not everything with man, everything's impossible, but with God, it's possible, which really reflects what we said here. Don't love money, fear God. That's the path to enter the kingdom. And uh, then in 1 Timothy 6, it says, tell those who are rich to be generous. It doesn't say make them give all their money away. So I, I've thought about that quite a bit. If you're an American, you know, your average income's like, $50,000 a year or something like that. If you want to be in the top 1% of income earner in the world, you need to make $32,000. That median income in the world is $1,500 a year. Okay. So if you're an American, you're in the top 1% probably. You know, you have a 90% chance probably of being in the top 1% in the world. And this world is more economically prosperous than all of human history combined. 
So we all, we all pretty much fit into this from a historical perspective. And the way I, the way I came to this, how, how do you do this? How do you do both? Uh, how do you pursue and, and invest and cultivate all the things it's telling us is wise without becoming foolish is stewardship. You know, deed everything over spiritually and say, okay, this is all God's because it is. It, it actually is. And actually sell everything to God, actually give it over. And when you start feeling angst about finances, you know what that's a signal of? I took, I repossessed. Mm-hmm. And so then deed it back over again. So, some people will actually write out a, a deed or, you know, release a balloon or something to give themselves a tangible, uh, a tangible uh, memory key. Uh, but I find that to be tremendously, a tremendously freeing and a way to, a way to do both. That's really cool. And I, one of the other ways I think that's freeing is we've talked a lot about process and outcome. And the end of this section says, like, if you're focused on the outcome and you're just collecting outcome, you're just, you know, the rich man's stomach gets full and so full, so angsty about whether his next meal is going to come from, ironically, that he can't sleep. He can't rest. He can't be at peace. Uh, Whereas the working man who is focused on how he stewards, on the effort that he puts into the things that he does, sleeps well because our bodies are made to rest after we work. There's a give and take. There's a ebb and flow. There's a yin and yang to it. And so when we put ourselves in these, you know, uh, castles and uh, have food given to us, we're abandoning this kind of natural ebb and flow, and, and it costs us. It, it adds to our anxiety. It adds to our frustration. We're one of the, as you said, Tim, one of the richest uh, nations in the history of the world, uh, the richest nation in the history of the world. But we also, you said in one of our previous episodes, like the suicide rate has doubled the last yeah. 20 years. And so the idea that we would put our hope in that as some sort of redeeming avenue seems very foolish indeed. Well, and some of Dave Ramsey's uh, principles are right here too. We should we should uh, elevate them. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. You know, the idea here is you tend to start adding servants. You tend to start adding employees. The, the more the more your uh, wealth goes, the bigger the responsibilities go, and the higher the burn rate is. Okay, so uh, what that tends to do is just make you worry. But, you know, you don't have to escalate your lifestyle. <laughs> right. And um, I, I recommend this. I recommend that everyone sit down and say, and actually, you know, get a there together with your spouse, how much is enough? Hmm. What, what is our optimum financial uh, lifestyle? It's fine to aim for that. And then that's it. Hmm. And then everything else is overflow to you know, bless people by building a business or by, um, you know, building ministry or something like that. I would, I would recommend against a, or to avoid just passive investments. This rich man at the end that's just uh, kind of stuffing himself and then can't sleep at night, he's not active anymore. Right. And the idea of, the idea of retirement in the sense of now I'm just going to focus on me, it's kind of going backwards from all this. 
retirement in the sense of now I have control of my time and I can do what I really want to do, you, you ought to try to get that as quick as you can. Try to find a job where someone's paying you to do what you would do if you retired. Mm-hmm. That, that's the ultimate thing to do. Yeah. Then you're rich because yeah. you get to do with your time whatever what you really wanted to do. The whole point of getting rich is so you can do what you want to do with your time. And here's this guy who's doing what he wants to do with his time, and it's self-destructive. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing to really focus on is what would I really do with my time, and would that actually be good for me? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> 13 through 17, there is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came. He will take nothing for the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hands. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation sickness, and anger. So now we have the hoarder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, you can be a wealthy hoarder and you can be a poor hoarder. Mm. It's all the same. You can hoard, You can be the, the hoarder that's in the ramshackled house full of newspapers. You can be the hoarder that's got the shopping cart full of picked up cans or and trash, or you can be the hoarder that's got bank accounts that are brimming and stock portfolios that are brimming and mm-hmm. assets that are brimming. It's an attitude. Hoarding is an attitude. And the hoarding attitude is basically, this is all for me and I have to protect it. You said, you said in an earlier episode about the study that people that hoarded were fundamentally unhappy. Can you repeat that? Uh, it was about uh, young people who in- inherit money and the difference between how they, the ones that turn out to be relatively healthy in terms of mental health and contribution to society and organizations versus ones that tend to uh, lean into addictions and squandering that wealth. And and the big difference the study found, found was the narrative their parents had given about the wealth. And for the healthy ones, it was a narrative of, these are all just resource. This is all just a resource for us to to steward. How are mm-hmm. we going to use this to to help and love others? And the unhealthy ones where this is this is ours. We need to protect it. We need to fight anybody that tries to take a dime away from us. Your mission is to hold on to this. And so here we got a guy who ha- apparently has that mission. He's a hoarder, and he loses it through a bad investment. So now his life is ended because mm. that's what he was living for. Mm. Uh, the other, the other uh, perspective that this uh, seems to have is that this man could be sharing this with his sons. Mm-hmm. He could be bringing his sons into the partnership. He could be teaching them to steward this investment. But no, I want it all for myself. And so he's eating in darkness. It, it's kind of like Scrooge mm-hmm. eating all by himself, the cold soup, because he doesn't want to waste the fuel to heat it up sort of thing. <laughs> Right. Um, we have an experience with this hoarding thing that I can think of where we went on a trip to Switzerland a couple of years ago 
And Joey and I had this opportunity this one day. We were looking into how much does it cost to go to the top of this mountain and uh, have this experience together of like seeing the beauty that God has created in Switzerland, overlooking the lakes and the valleys and all of that. And um, and it was expensive. It was costly to take this train up the mountain, more than a train should cost. And I had this thought of maybe we shouldn't go. Maybe we just, you know, we're on a budget. Maybe we shouldn't spend this, whatever it was, 140 bucks or something to take this train. And we talked about it. And it was really hard to, like, mm-hmm. make the choice to let go of the money to do this experience. And Joey was like, no, we're we're here. Like, we should we should just do it. Like, mm-hmm. what does it matter? We're not here to serve the money. Yeah. The money is here to serve us. And so let's just do this experience. And and so we did it. We paid for the tickets. We went up the mountain. And we decided, oh, my gosh, it's so beautiful here. And I grew up hiking in Canada. I want to hike down this mountain. And so it was super snowy and crazy. We got the the train conductor to drop us off halfway down the mountain. And we hiked the rest of the way. It was a four-hour hike. And it was the most beautiful experience that we've had. We talk about this experience that we had together all the time. It was this huge impact moment for us of getting to experience God's creation and hike down this mountain. And I was drinking out of this natural spring that we found and eating (laughs) walnuts off this tree on the side of the path that we found. Kylie in her element. Yeah, just experiencing (laughs) this incredible thing together um, and it's changed the way we travel. It's changed the way that we we uh, we do things together moving forward. And if if we had hoarded that hundred and forty bucks, mm-hmm. if we had held on to it, it it wouldn't have served us. We would have been serving it, and we wouldn't have um, ex- experienced this thing that we talk about all the time now in our marriage. And has changed our relationships with friends. We go hiking all the time with friends now because of the way that we can find community and experiencing the creation of God. Well, I I often, well, I don't know about often, I I will advise people when the subject comes up, it's a good idea to invest in experiences Mm -hmm. and a bad idea to invest in possessions. The possessions will end up in your attic unused (laughs) much of the time. But the experiences are things that you do with other people that you remember. And it builds, it builds, uh, you know, relationships. We, we don't, I mean, I I drive a, what is that? A 2013 pickup and I get made fun of it a little bit. But you know, I love my pickup. I, it's it's one of my favorite possessions, and one of one of the things I really try hard to do is make sure I enjoy what I have, and get rid of things that I don't enjoy. And uh, for me, enjoying my pickup is a little tiny spiritual discipline. Mm. It it helps prevent the more attitude of if I only had a better vehicle which is a trap people get in. And uh, I got this pickup because, you know, Dave Coonert, who works with us on the servant leadership stuff, he had me come and speak at a, uh, at a financial peace seminar he was, he was running. And I, I did a little spiel. And at the end, he said, uh, what kind of vehicle do you drive? And I said, well, I drive a, you know, eight-year-old uh, Yukon. And, 
he said, okay, thanks. And then afterwards I said, why did you ask me what kind of vehicle I drive? And he said, well, I, I uh, wanted everybody to know it was okay to drive kind of an old junky car, you know. <laughs> and uh, he didn't say junky, but he said an old <laughs> car. And I thought to myself, I drive an old car? <laughs> so I really loved my Yukon. And I went back to the Yukon, and sure enough, I got in, and it kind of smelled bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of nasty. Yeah. So I got my current truck. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Because I wasn't enjoying it anymore. He kind of poised my But I'm glad he did because I really love my truck. And uh, so I think I think cultivating those attitudes uh, are, is, is really important. We do fairly elaborate vacations. We have 30-something people in our family now with the 20 grandkids. And... Uh, we we just we and we pay for them. We we found if we'll pay, everybody will come. But you know we don't want to coerce anybody into doing it because that violates freedom. We just did a rented some houses down by the beach on the Texas Gulf Coast, where they have the best sandcastle making sand in the world. It was Ooh, it was cool. really fantastic, and I paid for a sandcastle expert to come give us lessons, and we built this giant sandcastle thing together, and we built these. Uh, uh, sea turtle dune uh, sand sculptures. And it was a few hundred dollars. You know, it was a few hundred dollars to get this guy to do this. But we all did it together and we took the pictures. It's an experience. And so that, that I think, is, is wise stewardship. Well, and I think all of this is really what Hevel is about, the idea of Hevel. Because Kylie and I talked recently about that, that uh, Switzerland example she just gave. And we don't even remember the actual amount <laughs> that the things cost. Yeah. Which, just you just remember so it was a, more than it should have been. We just remember yeah. the, the well, <laughs> we just remember the process, but we we really just focus our, our memory on the experience. And we talked to, about how we overweigh uh, possessions because they feel more real. Tangible. We mm-hmm. can grab a hold of it. And so even our money in our bank account, it's a number we can like look at and it feels like it's something. And experiences, it's like, okay, we might have a great time doing this thing. We might have a great time building sandcastles, but we have nothing to show for it. You know, there's no proof. There's no thing that we can take home and put in a shrine and, and celebrate. And so we have a, we have a hard time about that. But the irony is that those possessions, we can't really grab a hold of either. That's the hevel. When you try to grab a hold of these things, it's like the, the vapor, it seeps through your fingers and you're not really left with either the experience or what you thought you were going to get out of the possession. And, and here's what Solomon says about that very thing. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as his came. When we were born, there was nothing in our hands. <laughs> we didn't bring any possessions in. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor he can carry in his hand. That's the way we're going to go. And so really the experience is way more tangible than the possession. Right. The experience is something you'll take with you. I talked about the parable of the unrighteous steward. Make for yourself friends in, in eternal, so they'll invite you into eternal homes. You know what that means? People are going to remember something you did for them and put you on their invitation list because you shared an experience. And that actually lasts. All the possessions will burn up. Some people say there's never a trailer behind a hearse. <laughs> and and that's uh, that's the reality he's talking about here. You know, have we, we could say it this way: have a realistic perspective about 
money and possessions. All right, we'll finish it off with 18 through 20. Here's what I've seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. For this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life, because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. So you come into this world naked and you leave this world naked. You have this finite time to experience life on this earth, this once-in-existence uh, opportunity that Tim talks about. So while, while you're here, Solomon has alluded to this before and he will again later on. Eat, drink, and enjoy your work. Find joy in the meaningful things that there are to do. Uh, Tim just mentioned at the end of the last section about how it is encouraging a proper perspective. When you have a proper perspective, it's like, uh, I don't remember that movie. There's a, there's a movie where these two modern teenagers stumble into like a 1950s town that's all black and white. And hmm. it's all strange that it's black and white. And something happens, I don't remember very well, but all of a sudden color just like fills the 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 scene, their lives, right? And they can start to see what color their friends are wearing, what color their house is, and what the color of the sky and the color of the trees. And so when we have a proper perspective, it's like bringing color into the mm -hmm. things that are otherwise dull and meaningless. And so that's what I think Solomon is trying to push us towards as he as he wraps up this this chapter. You know, another way to uh, translate the previous section about hoarding rather than bad investment, it can be translated evil occupation. So if we live a life where no matter how much we have, it's it's all about me holding on. Um, that's an evil occupation. And what that's going to result in is futility, Hebel. Yeah, if, you're a, if you're a homeless hoarder, your shopping cart's going to go to somebody else. And at the other end of the spectrum, if you're a multi-billionaire, all that wealth is going to somebody else. Mm -hmm. it's, it's universal. But what, what Solomon's telling us to do is, no matter how much money you have, enjoy it. And this is, Paul uh, echoes this in First Timothy. God has given us all things, richly, to enjoy. And I, th I think we said this earlier. I think God will hold us accountable to, as to whether we enjoyed the things we had. Well, I, one of the things that is so strange is that we, I, I think some of our listeners might hear that and be like, oh, great, I'm going to go buy Yankee season tickets and a third <laughs> place. The, the, I heard the strange, strange thing that I've experienced over and over is that I actually find more joy in serving others than I do in the things that I want for myself. When I was in high school, we did this mission trip to Mexico to build a house over spring break. And it, I mean, we stayed in this big empty lot. We were camping. It was muddy and gross and it was hard work and I'm not really a handy person. So it was a lot of difficulty for me, but I, loved it. Like I enjoyed it more than any beach vacation I went on. It was be you know, beach vacations I enjoyed too. But I think it's important when we talk about spending our wealth in a way that we enjoy it, 
it is fun to share with others. Like it is fun to serve other people. And so I think we get in this uh, narrow, almost a hoarding mindset about what fun looks like, what joy actually encompasses, what spending our wealth for joy looks like. And so I think we've got to expand that. It's, it's fun to invest in ministries that are doing important things in the world. It's neat for us to talk to people that we are partnering with financially uh, to hear about what they are doing with, uh, with the money that we're donating because it, it, it makes us feel like we're a part of some of the things God is doing. And that is, it gives us a great sense of joy. Well, I, I like I have a similar attitude, and I, I, my, the perspective I have is I want to invest in stuff that actually lasts. I'm an investor. I love to make investments, and I make a lot of investments in this life. If you don't, if you don't, people can't live. I mean, that's we, we all live off of other people's investments of time and and uh, and effort, and so part of what I do is uh, you know contributing to our economy. And, and making investments that way. But like this, all this servant leadership stuff we all do together and the Yellow Balloons podcast and everything, you know, my hope is that that is um, giving cups of cold water to people. Mm. And, so, you know, maybe we get on an invitation list someday, you know, that uh, with somebody we didn't even know. And they say, hey, you know, that devotional really did something for me. And, and we have an experience with them in, in eternity. I, that's what I expect to happen. I think there's going to be all kinds of great surprises, and uh, we'll probably have a lot of things that come to our memory of people that have done things for us, and we'll say, you know, I, I never thanked them for that, and I, I'm going to pull them in. That that I think is going to be that your your hiking experience with your other your friends. That's a little hint, I think, of what's coming, mm-hmm. and a lot of it's going to come back to what what we did for one another in this life, in this life by faith. I do a lot of stuff in politics, and you know, pe- people can take issue as to whether w- what I'm doing is helpful or not. Uh, you know, God will decide that. And uh, like Paul said, I think I'm doing good, but I'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's a my my goal is to try to bring justice uh, and and uh, have government work the way it's supposed to work and play its proper role. And um, uh, that's um, you know, the politics is pretty nasty, pretty nasty business. Uh, Jesus was in politics. He united three factions that hated each other against him, and they killed him. <laughs> <laughs> so that that tends to happen when you go into that world. But, I mean, ultimately, it's a very important part of, uh, you know, what allows us to the freedom to do things like this. And so I participate, and I, I look at that as an investment, an opportunity to to do something for people that don't even know I'm doing it, something for them. Now, uh, you know, all, all that'll matter is uh, what, what, my heart, what my heart was in that. I, I say all that'll matter. That'll primarily be the matter of, that uh, comes. And, you know, I hope, I'm, I hope I'm doing well. I think I am. But... You know, I don't get to decide that, and neither do other people. Right, right. I love the way that this section ends. He will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Tim, you talked about how there's lots of different ways we hoard, and some of those are just literally counting the years of our life. People are sometimes very hesitant, even to themselves, to admit what their age is. 
and they feel this doom coming of of the inevitability of death. And uh, this is an encouraging passage to me, the idea that that I, I might be so busy living life that I'm not terrified of its inevitable end, that I'm making the most out of it. It's the best way to spend it. It's the best way to honor and value that inevitable end rather than let it be a driving force that uh, terrifies me and undermines the opportunity that I have why I am here. Well, uh, for me, you're, you're, a, you're a whole generation behind me, and so um, we'll, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see if you kind of uh, get the same experience I do, but I have chosen to um, try to be the faithful steward, which if you're going to be a faithful steward, you embrace responsibility. So, you know, in the parable of talents, uh, God gave three different guys uh, an amount of money. And it actually was a fairly substantial amount of money, but at the end when, when the master does the evaluation, he says that was a pittance. Well, that master is obviously God, and everything's small to God, right? Mm-hmm. Billions of trillions is small to God because he, he owns everything. And so um, the, the two, two of the guys really worked hard to invest, and they doubled the money. Now, that double the money would not be material to the master. But what he really wanted to know is, will you work to be faithful? And he says, man, that was great. I'm going to put you over many cities. Okay, so you're faithful with a small amount of responsibility, so I'm going to give you a whole bunch of responsibility. Enter into the joy of your master. So it's not just you're far away doing this now. It's us doing it together. Now, the wicked and lazy servant, he said to himself, I know what kind of master I have. If I do all good for this, he's just going to ask me to do a lot more. <laughs> you know, he was right. Mm-hmm. That was an accurate thing. And, and if, you, if you're paying attention and you walk the Christian walk, every time you gain in wisdom, God's going to ask you to elevate your responsibility. And it, it can get tiring. It can get tiring. And the, and the, weight, just, the weight just keeps growing. So there are times when I when I when I say it'd be kind of nice when I cross the finish line. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it does get it does get a little tiring. But I also say, God, I, I want to cross the finish line well, but I don't want to get pulled out of the game before it's over. Mm-hmm. So please help me continue to be uh, faithful day by day. Uh, so. I think, you know, because actuarially I've got another 20 years or so. Boy, the last 20 years went by pretty fast. And so, uh, you know, I, I think I think about this stuff quite a bit more and more as we go. <laughs> so interestingly, this says that stewardship is the gift of God. And I think, Tim, actually looking forward to eternity is part of that gift. You said you there are times you look forward to it, and there's times you're like, but don't pull me out of this gift <laughs> until you're done with right. using me here. And I think that's what this is talking about. You're occupied with gladness of your heart. It means you're, you're, you're in the game, you know? Uh, when, we do, yeah. when we do student leader training at the King's College where Kylie and I volunteer, uh, we talk about that. Is it Roosevelt? It's Roosevelt, right? The mm-hmm. Roosevelt quote about the man in the arena, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the gift that God gives us is an opportunity right. to participate in the arena, to work, to steward, to it's, expend our effort. It's kind of like when I played basketball. You know, it's like 
I don't want to get pulled out, but man, I'm tired. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be good when the game's over. Well, know? and there's times where you think, I, I, I love this so much, but I can't, oh, when the season's over, I can't wait to just that, that, take think, it easy. I think that's kind of what it is. And, and I do look forward, I really look forward to a time when all the things that I love about the responsibility and the teamwork and stuff is being done in a new earth where all the me orientation is not the, is not the gravity. Right. I, I do look forward to that greatly. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.